0: Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land.
1: Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. Robert, along with Sports Radio six ten Sean Bajani, and dropping in with us is former HST host and veteran sports journalist, Stephen Kerr. Welcome to our Astros trade deadline special. Justin Verlander back in Houston. The price to get him. Arguably, your number one and number two current prospects, Drew Gilbert, at Ryan Clifford, but Stephen, if Verlander meets a twenty twenty five incentive option, the Astros will get two and a third years of j v for only forty and a half million dollars, roughly thirteen fourteen million dollars. I guess you could say a year. What do you think Robert?
2: that was the key for me because obviously this didn't have to happen if the Astros had signed Verlander, you know during the free agency period, but obviously the crux was that he wanted too much money and Crane wasn't willing to pay it. So when I saw the trade, I said, okay, well, if the Mets are going to do what they did for the Rangers and Max Scherzer and pick up a lot of that salary, then I'll be okay with it. At least, you know, for the most part. I, I don't like the fact that they had to, to part with both Drew Gilbert and Ryan Clifford, you know, d- basically are two top prospects. But you know what? You got to give give up something to get something. And while Justin Verlander is... Definitely, you know, in the 39, 40-year-old range, he is Justin Verlander. So it's hard to argue with this thing, Robert. But, yeah, to me, that was the key, is how much money were the Mets going to give to make this worthwhile for the Astros?
0: I think uh, the Astros clearly put you know, all their eggs or at least too many of their eggs in the basket of Lance McCullers this past offseason, banked on him coming back and being, pitching at full strength, contributing, and they felt comfortable. I, I even said it, you know, uh, when the Astros didn't bring back Verlander, it was like, you know, didn't even feel like you're ripping off of a Band-Aid. I mean, you just won a World Series. Maybe we're still going off of that high, but this rotation, the way that this team's playing, performing, this window that they're in, you could sustain that. Not a lot of teams... You know, could say that. And the Astros, they're in a, a race now with the Rangers and a lot of other teams that have caught fire. The Orioles surprising people, the Rays stacking up, you know, making their team better. It, it was a situation in which Jim Crane and Dana Brown arrived at, in which they'd said, look, we're going to have to figure out the best way possible to maybe right that wrong from this offseason. And Jim Crane, however, they worked this deal. There's various reports of all kinds of different numbers being floated out there, but I know this, Crane said the Astros got a ton of money back in this uh, trade that they uh, orchestrated, and that the only question it came down to was how many prospects are we going to have to give up? You know, you you give up Clifford, you give up Gilbert. It stings a lot worse if, in fact, you – you're giving up major league talent this year. Or if those guys make a big ball club and you see exactly what you gave up, but hell, until they make the show, what it really comes down to, in my opinion, is what are you going to get out of Justin Verlander this year and the rest of this roster You know, for these remaining games? Less than 60 games and a postseason run. Let's see what you can do. It's called a championship window for a reason. And Dana Brown stuck his foot in the door and tried to raise that window up as high as he possibly could. You make You, you do what you have to do to win now. And look, I'm kind of looking at it like this. If Luis Garcia and Lance McCullers come back healthy uh, at some point next year, you've got eight legitimate starting pitchers. Now you're flipping at least one of those guys, aren't you? And whoever that turns out to be, um, you're probably going to be able to recoup some talent for your farm system. Uh, And Dana Brown, if we've learned anything from his track record, it's that he has an eye for talent. is an excellent talent evaluator. That's where he made his mark in this game, and so he's going to be general manager manager for the foreseeable future. I trust in him that he's going to be able to restock this farm system, you know, for uh, you know, down the years to come. So uh, we can worry about that when you cross that bridge. But right now, they did what they had to do. Uh, to play catch up with the Rangers, the Rays, the Angels, Orioles, all these other teams that are making themselves better for the stretch run.
1: Yeah, a couple of thoughts came to mind when I heard the trade. Number one, you know, with with the Astros getting Justin Verlander back, it just it seems like, I don't know, Stephen, wasn't it about nine months ago that we were all – Nervous every time Justin Verlander made a postseason start, he was the guy
2: that we were <laughs> nervous about. And now we got him back. Yeah, yeah there, there is that Robert, but uh, you know, he did get his first world series win and no, he didn't look particularly sharp doing it. But you know, at the end of the day, I, I mean, who knows what it would have cost to get, uh, you know, somebody like a uh, Jordan Montgomery, uh, you know, the, what for, what it would have cost for the Astros, a uh, Jordan Montgomery, A Max Scherzer, I I didn't even want Max Scherzer. He's got some health concerns, and he's definitely overpaid. So really, you know, Dylan Cease, same thing. You would have probably had to give up even more to get a Dylan Cease. So at the end of the day, who was going to be left? And who better than Justin Verlander to come back to a team that he was familiar with? And you know, and of course, a lot of these guys have no trade clauses, so that enters into it too. But you know what? You just you have to take your chances with this. I mean, they got him in 2017, and. Well, we didn't pick up a World Series win, but we still got a World Series. The only thing, Robert, is why didn't they wait until 459.59 to do this, like they did in 2017? You know, add a little drama, guys. Come on, that might have actually guaranteed us another World Series in 2023. But, but they have done it exactly the same way. <laughs> but
1: Stephen, this was much cheaper. You didn't have to destroy the entire city to bring Justin, but we didn't need a hurricane Harvey this time. We got him without a hurricane Harvey. Thank God
2: for that. What a deal there.
1: And and I also want to throw out there that, you know, the good thing about getting Justin Verlander for next year as well, and maybe for a third season is where I think his value is, isn't even the playoffs, because like I said, he, he makes me nervous. He makes coffee nervous now in the playoffs more than he ever has. And I know some people out there might disagree, but that's the way I feel. But also, uh, it, it matters because, and the reason I like having him around is he eats innings. As long as he's healthy, he eats innings. He takes innings off of your bullpen. So next year, if you have Justin Verlander and he didn't have the injury like he did at the beginning of this year, that where he lost a couple, of, a, a few starts for you off the top, you know th- that's going to help with Justin Verlander too. And, and this shot I also thought was real interesting from Dana Brown in his press conference after the trade. He said, giving up Drew Gilbert and Ryan Clifford, quote, uh, he said, giving up those two guys uh, was not as bad as I guess he, as some people might think, because we thought this was two corner guys in the end, not two middle of the field players. We were a little bit more comfortable. So Dana, Sean, basically is saying he didn't think either Gilbert or Clifford was a center fielder at the big league level and he puts a lot more value in that particular position or a second base shortstop catcher, that kind of thing.
0: Uh, Maybe it also, uh, you know, you can read a little bit in between the lines and what that maybe says about the future of one Kyle Tucker uh, for this ball club in their hopes of still retaining him. Uh, Look, Dana Brown from day one that he took this job as general manager has used the word aggressive and, I told you, whatever he does, if anything, ahead of this trade deadline, that's going to be the first little taste that we have of what exactly the kind of general manager we're going to have uh, for the foreseeable future and what exactly aggressive means. Look, he doesn't he doesn't act alone in a situation like this. We know the relationship between Justin Verlander and Jim Crane uh, is very strong, probably played uh, a, a little bit of a role in the decision to uh, execute this deal today, but This is pretty aggressive when you give up your, you know, arguably your top two prospects in your farm system in which you were already near the bottom of the league entering the 23 season um, to go get a future Hall of Famer, a guy that could put you over the top this season once again in hopes of capturing another World Series title. Uh, You go do that. You roll the dice. You take your chance. I, I like so far, I think, what I've seen from Dana Brown, a guy that's, you know, talk the talk, but walks the walk too. Um, We'll see what this means in terms of the future with other players on this roster, what it means, uh, you know, for them contractually, the organization financially. I'm excited for what it means this year, though, from a baseball sense. Your rotation is looking like Justin Verlander, Framber Valdez, Christian Javier, Jose Urquidy's coming back, going to be activated later on this week, Hunter Brown, J.P. France. you got a legitimate six-man rotation right now, similar to what the Astros enacted last year post-All-Star break. You know how much it has helped before. How beneficial could it be this year? Dusty Baker said it the other day, giving Christian Javier that extra day last week was beneficial. He pitched much better in his latest outing. He already moved him back in the rotation for this week. I think he's going to see the the Yankees in game two uh, later on this week. Now, what does Justin Verlander do to the entire rotation? It takes a little bit of pressure off Fromber Valdez as being the ace of this staff, the guy that's going to have to carry the load. Justin's used to being that guy. He can do that. So Fromber fits into a very familiar role. Christian Javier can maybe take a little pressure off of himself. J.P. France, who has just been lighting the world on fire, is in a legitimate contention for AL Player of the Month and maybe... Uh, rookie of the year conversation, to be quite honest with you, by, by season's end.
1: And, Sean, Sean this... the other big thing about that is that you bring in a, and have six guys now is that you talk about J.P. France, Hunter Brown. Yeah. Those two guys, you can potentially give them a two-week break or a two-start break if you wanted to go down to a five-man rotation because they haven't racked up the innings. This yeah. gives you the option of that if you wanted to do it. Yes, the six-man rotation benefits everybody in a way, but you know these two guys, if they're going to have to pitch into October, that's going to matter for them. Not just that. The six-man rotation, these six guys, what happens? You get into the playoffs, two guys can go to the bullpen and help you over there, and that could definitely be Hunter Brown and J.P. France because – they're wow. not going to have the innings build up that the other veterans have already done.
2: Well, that's right. And then something else I may add too is, you know, right now the Astros don't have a long reliever. When you, you option Seth Martinez, you know, just recently, you've got a lot of short relievers, but you don't have that long-term guy. So especially when you get to the postseason, that's going to matter even more than it does right now.
0: Well, you've got Belak in the fold too, and they just sent him back down to Sugar Land, but um, he's there if you need him. Um, And I like your point about Hunter Brown maybe being a guy that they could use later. Um, You might – there are going to be times maybe, you know, through these next 50-some-odd games that are left in the regular season where, you know, Dusty can get creative. Maybe they go to a five-man rotation for a little bit to give Brown a rest. If he's getting up there in innings, you know, I think he just crossed the uh, 100-inning threshold this season with a projected, what, 8 to 10 starts left. Uh, For him in this regular season, that's going to take him upwards of 140, 145 innings if he pitches, you know, mediocre. And we're talking about an average of five innings per start. So there's a lot of options that you can weigh here. But what I think it means, not just to the rotation, but just to the entire staff, this now gives you an opportunity at least every fifth day to Theoretically, rest your bullpen that has been taxed, you know, with having to use Phil Maton, having to use Brian Abreu, having to use Hector Neris so darn much. You know, Justin Verlander, I think, just within the last month plus, has pitched into the eighth inning twice. He's pitched into the eighth inning four times this season. How many Astro starters this season can say the same thing? He's looking like Justin Verlander over the course of the last seven starts, like the Justin Verlander that won the Cy Young here with the Houston Astros. 11
1: starts. He has a 2.38 ERA in his last 11 with a 2.10 batting average you get, Sean.
0: Yeah. I mean, you you can go on and on. I mean, you you want to talk about the whole season. He's really had just four poor outings. Um, But it's been most recently where – you know, he's looked like himself, where he's really getting that swing and miss stuff, and guys aren't hitting him and the walks are down, and he's just looking like that that dominant Justin Verlander that we got so used to seeing years a member of the Houston Astros. We'll see what he has left. Look, I know you made the point early on about like, hey, you know, yeah, the postseason, he hasn't been great in the World Series. Making this move was about making sure you're doing everything in your power to get there yeah you're clinging to that third and final wild card spot and i'm telling you right now the path to success for this ball club doesn't come via the wild card you're spending too much money you have too much talent on this team to be clinging to that you're a half game out entering play today of the texas rangers path to success comes through to the division you got three games left with them head to head towards the end of the regular season and it starts now you are back at full strength, as full as you're going to be this season anyway, with Urquidy coming back. You just got Jordan and Altuve back. Brantley, okay, whatever. That'd be icing on the cake on top of icing on the cake because you just made one of the biggest splashes you possibly could have made in bringing JV back
1: 2.0. You know, it's interesting. Maldonado knew before any of us, Stephen, <laughs> yes, that this did. trade is going to happen. He said he's been in touch with Verlander the last couple of days. He got a text from him, 9.30 a.m. Tuesday, saying, let's after go. go.
2: Yeah. Yeah, he did. And yeah. they, they've been apparently conversing over the last few days. And, of course, nothing was finalized. But it was obvious, you know, Martin knew something was going to happen, or at least the possibility of something was going to happen. So, you know, the, the the excitement around the Astros clubhouse, you know it's high. And I know uh, emotions don't play
1: a part. Steven, was was Yanner Diaz – Uh, trying to get Verlander. Could he have gotten Verlander? No, that's why you got Maldi. This is why he's the starting catcher. You got to get, you got to get these guys in there. Yonder Diaz worthless, like get him off the field. He only has a thousand OPS when he starts. We need Maldi out there because he's recruiting guys. He's like our,
2: this is like having our Nick Saban. This is like Nick Saban. That's about right. But what are you going to do next year? If he walks as a free agent, you're going to have to figure out something else, but (laughs) at least he got you there this year. But no, they obviously have a great relationship, and th- there's no doubt that, that that's going to mean something. But, you know, to, to accentuate Sean's point, yeah, you've got to get there. You've got to put yourself in a position to get there. Once you get there, you know, then you worry about, well, how's Verlander doing in the postseason, and is he going to get another World Series win? you, you got to get in a position to get there first, and getting him certainly gets you to that point. You know, my, my biggest concern, obviously, is – Hopefully he doesn't break down this season, next season, but the potential is certainly there. You just have to hope and pray it doesn't happen.
0: Uh, You know, in regards to to next season, you know, you cross that bridge when you get there, but um, the most appealing thing about that vesting option in 2025 is he's got to pitch at least 140 innings next season and finish the year healthy for that option to kick in. So there's plenty incentive for Justin Verlander to continue to take care of his body as he gets up in age. So you worry about that stuff if you get there. But whether or not, I mean, like, the the, the sweetener of this whole deal is Jim Crane isn't on the hook for $93 million of this contract. The Mets are paying, you know, more than about 60% of it, um, you know, according to some reports. And whatever the number actually turns out to be, it was enough. To, to make Jim Crane comfortable to say, yes, press the big red button, get this deal done. At the end of the day, it's not your money, it's not my money. You want to see your ball club do whatever it takes to go out and win championships. And this type of move, for the second time in six years, involving the same human being, Jim Crane has pushed that big red button and gotten the deal done, now with a second general manager, third <laughs> general manager, really, to to, to do it. And the, the city's got to be stoked. I know the clubhouse is stoked. Um, you know, look, Bregman said earlier today, he's not like this big rah-rah guy, and there's not a lot of inflection in his voice, but listen to his words. He said, my body feels brand new. You know, we're rejuvenated. Maldi had been talking to the guy and been getting excited and sending gifts back and forth and the LFG and, you know, the whole thing. Like, you love it. Fans are going to be jacked tonight at the ballpark. Can you imagine, like, JV's not even going to leave New York. He's going to wait to meet the Strohs on Thursday in New York and then pitch against the Yankees and dominate their ass, and hopefully we get a chance to see JV v. Cole. That would be phenomenal, and he can put it on his old teammate again, but the the excitement is building and building and building, and it just feels like this Astros ball club, what you think you know about them, what you think you've seen of this 2023 version, the best is yet to come, it feels like.
1: The other thing about the, the contract, deal and why, you know, you think about it in terms of, say, Stephen, look at the NBA. they uh, Damian Lillard is on the market right now. Right. What if, what if uh, some, some team wanted Dame Lillard and they're like, yeah, I don't know if we can fit him in under our cap for the next three years because we're trying to win championships and we need more room. And Portland said, you know what, we're going to knock about half of that money, half of that 50, 60 million dollars that you got to pay Damon Little. The other team would go. We- we'll give you every single. You know, we're talking about giving up two guys, two outfielders. Outfielders, one of the easiest positions to find. The Astros are deep in the- in outfield prospects. When you look at their minor league system, with we've talked about Luis Baez. There's, there's Jacob Melton. Uh, there's Joey Perfito That's really come on recently as a prospect. So you've got guys. I mean, there's I mean, there's more than that. There, there's some really good prospects, and and now you get Dame Lillard, and he's you're basically paying him what you would be paying Dylan Brooks or something like that. That's what you're doing with with J- Justin. Bray. It's uh, this is about team building, and this gives you an opportunity to extend a window with a guy that's one of the best pitchers you know in the history of baseball. So that that's a big deal too, as far as just you know wh- how you look at this thing. It's it's about the Astros have this window that we know at a year and a half, Stephen, Altuve and Bregman, they they could be gone, and 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 this is your window right now. You don't know when this thing's going to end, and and guys start
2: leaving the and, and Tucker as well in about two and a half years. Well, that's why I said off the top, Robert. The the key is the money, and listen, when you're Steve Cohen, you can afford to do that and make it more attractive. Yeah, we spend a lot of time talking about the prospects you give up. And as I've always said, prospects are just that. They're prospects. They're, they're not proven. You've got to prove that you can make the major leagues. Drew Gilbert and uh, Clifford, Ryan Clifford, they, they may very well be stars for the Mets one of these days. But, hey, if the Astros win even one more World Series, like if they do it this year or next year, it'll be worth it. But the money is, is also a big deal, and that's a great point that you just made. I mean, the Mets did the same thing with the Rangers. I'm sure that that made the deal as attractive to them to get Max Scherzer as the prospects. You know, they gave up some pretty good yeah. prospects, too, the Rangers did. So money is starting to become a key in these negotiations, especially when it's such a big contract. And when you have teams like the Mets, who can afford to soak up some of that salary if they're really gung-ho and dead set on selling out and getting rid of these players. You know, I mean, look at the Cardinals. They pretty much sold themselves out, too. But... When you're in a position that the Mets are in, money can definitely be the key, just as much as those prospects are.
0: The thing about prospects, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, two different people during our podcast right now have texted me, Hey, man, what do you think about giving up Gilbert? It's like, I don't know. He wasn't wearing an Astros uniform. I really could give a rip because, uh, you know, Justin Gilbert losing him or Drew Gilbert losing him, it's kind of like I could have had, there was a lot of prospective women out there you know, through my first 20-some-odd years on this planet that I could have chosen to made my, make my wife. I chose one, and I chose right, you know, but I could have chosen a whole bunch of them and turned out to make them my wife, and who knows where I'd be? Who knows where we'd be? Like, there's always the prospect of finding that other guy or guys or gals, you know, whatever the case may be. And, look, to me, Drew Gilbert wasn't going to help you win ball games right now today drew gilbert might not have helped you win ball games next season much less ryan clifford didn't know who the hell that guy was to be quite honest with you before today and the deal's consummated i know this justin verlander helps this team win ball games the second he steps on that mound. that's what he's done that's what he's been about and it's about maximizing that championship window so at the end of the day, I know both of you guys preface this. You know, all the Astros had to do was, hey, look, pay the guy before. Well, arguably it turned out might have turned out better getting JV this way than it did spending Mets money yourself this offseason, and you'd be on the hook for ninety-three or a hundred million dollars in the life of this contract. So hey, you roll the dice and you see where it gets you. Uh I'm here for it. I think uh I think the ball clubs rejuvenated. I think it was the right move. And, you know, we'll see where the chips fall.
1: There could have been another Astros. Actually, there could have been two more Astros reunions at the deadline. We're going to get to the Graveman one that was another Astros reunion in just a second. But Jim Crane said they had interest in a starter and a reliever from the Padres. But San Diego became buyers instead of sellers. You could assume those two were Blake Snell and Josh Hader. Remember Josh Uh Hader? Dana Brown said they were also going after Brooks Raley from the Mets, but that deal didn't get done. Remember old Brooks <laughs> Raley. Uh, but uh, let's get to the other deal, Stephen, because the Astros also got Kendall Grayman for Corey Lee, another prospect that the Astros gave away, a big prospect. What do you think of that one?
2: Well, this may sound phony, Robert, because it's after the fact. And, and I'm not on with you guys as much as I used to be. But I actually had Corey Lee pegged as a trade piece early on. I mean, just the way the Astros handled him, you know, in spring training, they, they sent him down to Sugar Land. they said, because they wanted him to play every day. But it was obvious that they were positioning Yanner Diaz as the frontline guy at some point. Now, you didn't know how that was going to turn out when the season began. But as time went on, you know, Corey Lee was, uh, he may not have been tearing up AAA, but he was doing decently. But the Astros had no plans to bring him up. So it didn't surprise me that Corey Lee became a trade piece and the fact that they traded him for Kendall Graveman. Hey, the Astros, they could have had, they could have kept Kendall Graveman after the 2021 season, but they didn't give him that extra year that the White Sox did. Otherwise he'd still be here. So yeah, again, yeah, you had to trade somebody to get something, but in this case, I think it was a great move because Corey Lee was not going to be your frontline catcher. You're not going to have him and Yonder Diaz as both your frontline catchers, especially if Maldi walks next year. So no, I love the move, and and Graveman certainly was money in the 2021 postseason with the Astros. So you have to hope that not only he'll be that the rest of this season, but if you get to the postseason, that he can uh, he can duplicate that.
0: Yeah, I didn't see the forest through the trees like you did, Stephen, but uh, I I did think it was pretty apparent that in spring training, Yiner Diaz, you know, was uh, a better prospect at catcher for the future of this ball club than Corey Lee. I thought he was a better hitter. Uh, and I thought uh you know that working every day with Martin Maldonado could make him a better defensive catcher, and we've seen you know that pay pay off you know here in the short term at the very least you could see the future on what he could become as uh uh uh, a, a defensive catcher back there and somebody that, uh, you know, handles this staff going forward. And how much better too does a veteran pitcher like Justin Verlander coming in, uh, you know, with, with all of the knowledge that he has, how much can he benefit a young catcher like Yiner Diaz? But I thought, you know, Corey Lee needing to get necessary reps in the minor league system. It it, it was apparent that, you know, here more recently, he could become a piece of a trade before they made that deal for Graveman with him uh, because, of what Yiner Diaz has already showed to this point at the major league level. If Yiner hadn't flourished to the point that he has, I think you do keep options open and say, you know what, maybe Corey does have a future here. Maybe we need to give him another look and you figure out a way and a time to do that. But um, the Astros, you know, played it right and guessed right, thought right, evaluated correctly that Yiner is that guy at catcher for, uh, you know the backup now for Martine and you know their catcher of the future. Uh, right now, it, it, it's it's a good problem to have and a, a, a benefit that a lot of ball clubs don't have at that position. It's hard to find dudes like that, but let's see if Graveman can come back and be that guy that he was a few years ago for the Astros. Um, you know, I, I think we forget sometimes because Brent Strom's not here, but in large part, look, there was a lot of that are there are a lot of guys that are here that were under his uh, tutelage and their current pitching coach. Now, I think he's got that, you know, pixie dust, that magic elixir, uh, the ability to speak to guys to identify issues, tendencies, and to just flat out make guys better like Graveman. And I still think he has some projects in Fromber and Christian Javier and Stanek and Mayton and Montero that they got to figure out. But, uh, I always have faith in their uh, ability to, to, to develop and, and, and repair guys here in this organization.
1: Yeah, you guys keep talking about Yonor Diaz as the future starter. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, Martin Maldonado will be doing this until he's in a wheelchair. (laughs) 2040 at least. And and Dusty (laughs) is going to be managing Maldi until he's in the wheelchair. If he's in hospice and he's phoning it, he's doing it from his phone and he's telling guys, you know, and he's got his his, uh, wristbands on and he's at the uh, old folks home, he's still going to be managing Martín nah. Maldonado, as long as that guy can walk back and forth from the catching position to the dugout, Martín Maldonado is the catcher of the future, the present, the past, everything. So no. but, Here's but, what they're
0: going to do with Martín going forward. He's going to become Jeff Bagwell Jr. They're going to give him the corner office and some title like community outreach executive, and they're going to send him to go uh, consummate, ex- ex- execute deals you know, in the offseason when they need a high-priced free agent acquisition.
2: Well, let me just tell you this, guys, and I'm not saying that Yonar Diaz should be the front-line starter next year because, listen, he's still got some work to do, especially behind the plate. There have been at least a couple of instances where he's had some wild throws trying to pick, uh, steal – catch uh, stealing runners off second base that have gone into center field. You know, he's made some strides in the maturity aspect. I know there was, you know, some talk that he needed to really work on his pregame preparation – he apparently is doing that, but, and I know we still have, you know, the rest of this season and hopefully the postseason to go, but I'm not sure I want to come into next year with Yonor Diaz as my starting catcher, whether that means bringing Maldi back for one year, if he's willing to do that and be starting one more year or get a veteran catcher that can probably fill the bill until he's ready. But I don't think Yonder Diaz is quite ready for that role just yet.
1: Yeah. Maldi, I just don't, I don't understand this whole thing where Maldi's such a, he's better with the pitchers supposedly, but the pitchers that he's catching for a lot this year, uh, Christian Javier hasn't done so well with Martin Maldonado behind home. I mean, Christian Javier has struggled this year. We've seen. He can't do anything for Christian Javier's fastball, which has been an issue. Uh, recently, Frombers struggled with Martin Maldonado catching. You know who's actually pitched pretty well? JP France. And I I want to say it's a lot of Yanner Diaz out there. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yonar Diaz is out there for him, for sure.
1: Exactly. And the other part is Martin Maldonado. The catching part has become hard for him. He is leading the major league baseball in past balls. So this is like, you know, and, and he's not throwing guys out anymore. I mean, it's not just that he's not hitting. The catching part is also an issue and I mean, it's like beating a dead horse. And, and it seems like all of a sudden, whenever Dusty has to defend him, he's bringing up some stat that you're like, what are you talking about? Like the other, the other day he was going, oh, well, you know, Yonder Diaz doesn't hit lefties. Well, Martin Maldonado doesn't hit righties. So then why isn't Yonar Diaz batting every time we go against the right-hander? Because if that's your definition of, you know, success, then let's know if you want to play that game, Dusty, we can play that game and you would lose bad on this.
2: And well, Dusty was getting a little testy when he made that comment too. If you remember, he said, I, I you know, you guys always seem to want to tell me how to do my lineups. I don't I don't really need that. Thank you very much. <laughs> After he said that comment. So and he's getting a little testy about being asked about this, apparently.
1: Yeah, we know of at least three guys now that have to use Maldy because we know Christian Javier once once Maldy out there, Bromber, and now Verlander. So Really, I mean, Christian Javier, you're stuck. Either he's DHing or he's not playing, which kind of sucks. Because man, the lineup looks good when he's in there, Man, yeah. right now yeah. it looks so good when he's out there.
0: I mean, two out of those three pitchers that want Maldy behind the dish aren't bad, though. Um, <laughs> you know, those are one or two, one and two pitchers right now. And you've kind of approached that level right now with the influx of health and talent that this roster, you know, is right now. What does he say last year? And how good was this ball called last year? Where you know what? You don't need Maldi to hit. And I know like he's not the defender that he was, but with the the caught stealing percentage uh isn't that different this year than it was last year. It's vastly different than what it was a couple of years ago when he was throwing out forty percent of would-be base stealers, but Um, To me, at the end of the day, it comes down to, you know, who's on the mound, who feels comfortable with them behind the plate, and whether or not your offense can sustain a guy hitting, you know, 165. Uh, With Altuve and Jordan back and Tucker doing his thing, Bregman uh, being more like Bregman of late, um, you can kind of withstand this. You know, we'll see. Uh, This Astros ball club right now, especially from a rotational standpoint, you know, can afford a little bit to – Uh, be more patient with Christian Javier um, and Hunter Brown and their struggles when you have a guy like Justin Verlander in the mix again and Jose Arquiti coming back. But this is not a ball club that can just sit back and rest on their laurels. You're in a race, not just with the Rangers, but with a lot of other ball clubs right now. You know, the M's were four and a half games back before yesterday's game. The Angels are there. The Yankees, the Red Sox, they're all in the mix and it's a competitive American league right now, and the Astros, uh, they're about as uh, full strength at, uh top arsenal as they're going to be for the remaining 50-some-odd games this season. We'll see if it's good enough.
1: I have one last thought, and I'll let you guys hit, hit us with your last thoughts if you got one, but there seems to be an issue in the Astros organization, I've started to notice over the last few years, if there is a big trade to be made, Jim Crane gets all the credit. Uh, Jim Crane got credit for the grant key trade. Jim Crane got tr- credit for the Justin Verlander trade. You start to hear, oh, well, Dana Brown, he loved, loved Drew. And he didn't want to trade that guy. He wanted to draft him with the Braves. So I'm starting to hear that sort of stuff. But Dana Brown said as soon as he heard the Mets make the Scherzer deal and that they were taking up all that salary, he ran to, to his guys and he had pencil and, was writing all this down like, okay, if they're going to do something like that, then we can do something like that. And you know, Jim Crane apparently didn't want to give, J- you know, didn't want to give James Click much credit for anything. It was Dusty that got the credit. So even when it's not Jim Crane, it's the manager that gets the credit. It seems like with the Astros on some of these deals the last few years, Jeff Luno was the only guy that you know he seemed to trust. But at the same time, somehow it leaks out there that Jim Crane made those two big trades for Greg Key and Justin Verlander. At some point, give these guys, give this these general managers, they know what they're doing. They deserve some credit, and that concerns me going forward because who's going to, at some point, GMs might not want to work for Jim. Good GMs might not want to work for Jim Crane anymore if they can't get the credit for anything. We'll see what happens, but this is something I'm paying attention to as I'm watching all this stuff unfold.
2: Well, I think some of that is coming from the outside. And look, I, I you know, it, it's certainly well-documented that Jim Crane and James Click were did not particularly get along. So I guess it's no big surprise that he might claim credit for that there. Now, I mean, I remember reading a lot of things about how the deal went down in 2017 with Justin Verlander and how involved Jeff Luno was in that deal. So I, I think some of that is coming from the outside. And, but look, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter who gets the credit. The fact is Jim Crane, Made a mistake when he was the general manager during the offseason. Let's be honest, he was. So is Jeff Bagwell. By not signing Verlander or at least a, a top rotation pitcher, at least you can say that he's willing to do an about-face and say, okay, Dana, go get the guy. You know, he he obviously gives approval on all these at the end. And really, that's all that matters to me. The Astros are, are trying to make some moves. Really, it doesn't matter in the long run who gets the credit.
0: I agree with you. And I do think, uh, you know, uh, a portion of it is outside noise. Um, but the owner's going to get a lot of credit sometimes because you mentioned, yeah, he's the one that's pressing the big red button at the end of the day and, you know, saying, get this deal done because the money's involved. When I mean, you talk about guys like Grinky, High price guy. You talk about Verlander, high price guy, first time and this time. Uh, the owner's got to make that decision to flip that bill. And Dana Brown has even said it multiple times this year in relation to if it's a conversation about Maldi versus Yiner and McCormick and Myers, it's like, or who they're going to give up in terms of major league talent. Talking about that just a couple of weeks ago with Dana Brown, he's saying, you know, look, at the end of the day, it's Dusty's call on whether or not if I find a deal that works. Does Dusty want to part ways with somebody that's wearing a Houston Astros uniform right now? That's his call. He understands his role. Dusty, you know, manages the team on a day-to-day. Jim flips the bill. You know, he and his staff put together and do all the legwork and find these deals that make sense for this ball club. But at the end of the day, they can only do so much. And I think, yeah, you're, you're right to a certain degree. Like, there are probably tons of guys out there that would love to get – you know, headlines and their name in the paper and get all of the credit and the shine. But at the end of the day, Dana Brown feels like, to me, because he's kind of been there, done that before with the Atlanta Braves, a guy that he's going to get his credit when you put a World Series trophy and the bookcase, you know, in the front office. He's going to get his credit by championships. He's going to get his credit, you know, in the win and loss column. James Click got
1: credit for the championship last year. Did he get credit?
2: You know, well. I
0: think, I think <laughs> they were talking more degree. about
2: his being on his way out than getting the world series credit at that point. I,
0: I think to a certain degree, like you never really felt like James click was long for this job to begin with. It never felt that way. The way that he took this job, was granted this right. yeah, job. Yeah, I don't, I,
1: I, he was, he was a young up and coming guy that had done a fantastic job with Tampa and on a, a franchise that was doing it.
0: The but he's right a guy way. that wouldn't have had, he's a guy that wouldn't have had the job if you wouldn't have gotten busted for cheating. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like he was a part of their plan. It was a contingency. It's like, we got to get a guy in here. Here's maybe the best that we could get at the time, you know, for the circumstances that we're dealing with. And look, yeah, maybe at the end of the day, he was wronged. But at the end of the day, you're working for the big boss man, Jim Crane. And Jim Crane should be given a lot of credit for, you know, getting the deal done in 2017 for Justin Verlander. Maybe he should be given a little bit of credit for getting the deal done with Zach Grinke. He didn't Maybe he didn't, you know, do all of the research and the legwork and to see what kind of sense it actually made from his standpoint of I, I, what do you mean to the staff? But I guess I I'm not saying.
1: I, yeah, I, I get it. Maybe he should have gotten some credit for those deals. Absolutely. But my point is, like, it just seems like all of a sudden we we always hear later, you know, whenever there's a big deal that it's, you know, he gets the majority of the credit. And then the other guy was like, oh, all of a sudden. Jeff Luna was like, oh, I'm not sure if we're going to make that. This is back in 2017. I'm not sure if we're going to make the Verlander trade. Or, yeah. I'm not. you know, I don't know if I want to give up this much for Zank Greinke. I'm just saying, like, Jim Crane, you know, maybe back the ego up, come out, talk about how, you know, occasionally maybe he needs to come out and say, hey, my GM's doing a great job. You know, well, I, want to, I want to hear some more of that from Jim Crane.
0: Maybe he will. Maybe he will. And I'll, I'll point to something today. You know, like, after the deal was done, Uh, to get Justin Verlander today. I think it was USA Today that caught up with uh, uh, Crane. And Crane said, hey, look, this came down to how many prospects are we going to have to part with? You know, he acknowledged that this deal got done, you know, from his perspective, because of the money that was coming back in return for uh, the prospects, along with Justin Verlander. Of course. And it, it came down to what kind of prospects are we going to have to give up. That's a determination. That's a decision that he's going to entrust his general manager, who has to know this farm system very well. And how well does you know Dana Brown know this farm system relative to what James Click knew about it, relative to what you know uh, Jeff Luna knew about it? Probably not as well. But I trust the guy that has been doing this in terms of, of talent evaluation and trusting the scouts. That, by the way, are the same darn scouts that were here before Dana Brown existed as general manager. And so I think in that sense, like, yeah, he's given, you know, Dana Brown the reins and I think we'll give him the credit, you know, for, for, for getting deals like this done, for making those decisions at least to where he can bring him to crane and he can give the final say. So, but I, uh, it's not like, I think Jim crane's, you know, stealing all of the limelight and things like that, but, uh, um, when you have a guy like Dana Brown just coming in with a lot of pressure on him in his first year to get this done and make sure this window stays open, you get a deal done like this, you know, and you, you feel comfortable, you sell that to your owner that, hey, we can afford to give up our top two prospects in the farm system and be okay because of the ball club that we have and what what lies in the future. Um, Bossman says yes, then, yeah, you, you should get a little bit of credit. Yeah. and let's, out, not, especially.
1: let's not forget with this deal for Kendall Graveman, We got to give credit to James Click in multiple ways for the deal for Kendall. Kendall Graveman loved his time with the Astros. He wanted to come back. He openly talked about wanting to come back. And guess what? They got Kendall Graveman because they could give up Corey Lee. Why could they give up Corey Lee? Because a guy named James Click made an incredible deal to give up Miles Straw and get Phil Maiden and some catcher that nobody paid much attention to <laughs> except our guy, Jimmy price over at Astros future. Like, Oh, this guy is actually pretty good. He said at that time and Yonder Diaz, and and you got that guy because guess what? James click. And then Jeff gives Jeff Luno a little credit as well. Obviously with, he was the one that drafted Corey Lee, but it, it should be interesting from here on out. The Astros have now lost four first round picks uh, just in the last, you know, three or four years, they've had to give up four first round picks, two of them because of the cheating scandal. And the other two, Corey Lee and the guy that they just gave up today, Drew Gilbert. So very interesting. The Astros, you know, you look through their farm system, the first round picks, there's not many left from the last few years, obviously after all that. So that's something to think about Mm -hmm. as well. Um, Hey guys, uh, great stuff. Great stuff. Uh, Excited about Justin Verlander being back in Houston and the the chances of the Astros winning the World Series maybe in Vegas went up just a hair, just a hair after uh, after this one. Um, thanks a bunch for doing this. Me and Sean are going to be back in a couple of days talking more Texans training camp. I mean, it just I, I can't be more excited about talking Texans training camp. I hope everybody else is uh, checking out what Sean is bringing us with being out there, uh, being out in the beautiful – 99-degree heat and coming back with some great stuff with us all the time. And uh, always good to have Stephen aboard. Uh, thanks a bunch, Stephen. Thanks for doing this.
2: Absolutely, Robert. Well, I'm I'm getting pretty excited about the Texans season, too, because, you know, we've been in a bit of a funk with Houston sports for the last couple of years, with the exception of the Astros. So <laughs> maybe the Texans and the Rockets can get things going, and, you know, we'll have all kinds of things to talk about. But, no, good to good to be with you guys. Yeah. yeah. Think about it for a second, Sean. Will Anderson – for a
1: bunch of first round picks, but you, 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 everybody was like, man, did they give up too much when they got Will Anderson and maybe that was worth it. This is this little, not this quite the same, but a little bit Justin Verlander-y, you know, if you think about it.
0: Yeah. Well, and uh, we know Justin Verlander, he is him. And I think uh, from what we've seen and heard so far through six days in training camp, in terms of what Will Anderson is bringing to this defense, He could be him as well. So, uh, yeah, whatever it takes to get the dude, the cornerstone piece in. Both organizations have done it, and we'll see how it pans out for him. Go Stroves. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk.
1: Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.